The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We're dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and scrum.org. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and in today's episode, you get to meet Denise Pertzer. She and I recorded this conversation in spring of 2021, and through a variety of things that have unfolded as the pandemic has continued to impact us, we didn't get a chance to release it. And so we really revisited whether or not this episode was still relevant for our listeners today. And it turns out it is. So as you listen in, you'll hear Denise and I talk about gender equitable recovery, and the importance of mentorship and other types of dynamics in the workplace around being authentic and pay gaps. And she leaves us with a lot of recommendations that are important for people going through career transitions that are re-entering the workforce. And those are useful for us who haven't necessarily left the workforce, but that are supporting people, part of our network, who have had to make that choice because of the continued ongoing impacts of COVID-19. I hope you enjoy this episode and learn a lot from everything that she has to offer. And here's just a little bit more about Denise. She loves to connect the right people to make things happen. At the time this episode was recorded, she served as the VP of Partnerships and Alliances at ClearSale. During that time, she oversaw their partner network. Denise's 20 years of experience in e-commerce has taken her around the globe, speaking and working in different areas to gain a greater understanding of locales, including APAC, EMEA, and EMEA regions. Hi, Denise. Hi, Leslie. It's good to talk to you today. Yeah, thank you so much for being with me. Um, I'm excited to unpack some of your thoughts and what you've learned around gender equitable recovery, women re-entering the workplace, and what we really need to think about almost as just like the sisterhood of women in corporate environments and how we need to be keeping our eyes open to create the right space and doing the right things to make this easy for everybody. Because I was pretty astonished when I started looking at some of the statistics and what's really gone on since the COVID-19 pandemic started impacting all of us. Yeah, I don't think people really know behind the scenes. So I think it's, it's going to be interesting talking about this today. Yeah. So um, before we really get into that content, I want people to learn just a little bit more about you. You're not our typical guest. You're not from our larger global agile community. You're not even necessarily exactly in sort of a formal agile adjacent sort of industry, but you know, clear sale, it's in the payment technology space. Um, so, so there's that. And it's classically a male-dominated space in the same way that so many of us are coming from male-dominated technology. So just talk to us a little bit about your career history, how you've navigated that um, in such a male-dominated space, and some of the key learnings you've had that we might be able to benefit from. I would love to do that. I've, I've been in, um, I guess, borderline techie roles for the last 20 years. I've been in e-commerce space for, for that amount of time. And I've been on the payment side and now on the fraud prevention side. And, and I guess the main theme throughout it all is, is it's been oftentimes that I've been the only woman in the room during meetings or the only one of the few women at a conference, that sort of thing. 
And um, I didn't realize it at first, I have to admit. And when I started going to these conferences, I just took it for granted. I mean, because it's the space I'd been in for so long. And you, you do kind of figure out over time that that's not normal. And you start talking to other women and then you start feeling your way through. And because of that, um, it, it's been interesting to, to kind of unpack, as you say, some of those different things and, and realize what, what types of battles at times that we're, we're running into or some of the challenges that we, we just take for granted. So um, being in, in the e-commerce space, it's, it's um, a lot of times it is on the development side. It's, it's male-dominated teams. On marketing, it might be women. But generally, when I was going to software conferences, it was it was mostly men. And um, I think one of the times it hit me square in the face was when I didn't have to wait in line to go to the ladies room. Mm. <laughs> I always like to tell that story because it really was kind of one of those aha moments where it's like, oh, they're waiting in line and I'm not. And then you start looking around and thinking, OK, I'm going to have these conversations with with different people. And I, I did, I guess, um, psychologically, I was adjusting for that but I didn't realize it. And um, for me, it was not a tough thing. I guess I, growing up, I always hung out with the guys in my neighborhood and things like that. But um, you do yearn for, you know, the, the discussions and the touch points with other women. And so I guess that's where I started kind of pulling in some of my friends and asking and comparing, what are some of the things that you're doing to get through this situation? And you realize you, you are, managing things a little bit differently because men and women think differently. Um, they go about things differently. I think a lot of times I'm finding that there's a lot more detail-orientedness in a woman's point of view, um, but men are powering to get through it, right, and, and get to the end. So the communication styles and all sorts of things you're adapting to on, on a regular basis. Yeah. And I think there's something that definitely rings true for me in listening to your story around most of my friends growing up were guys. In fact, totally honestly, like I avoided close friendships with girls in middle school and high school because I felt like they were all catty and backstabbing and it just wasn't fun. I didn't like the drama and guys seemed a little bit less drama from a friendship perspective. But the older I've gotten, that appreciation for having a strong network of women around you and not realizing maybe I was playing a different game mm -hmm. and compensating in ways that I hadn't realized I'd been compensating just because I didn't necessarily know any different. Mm -hmm. And you um, go without possibly instead of fulfilling that and then yeah. you can figure out that you can fulfill it through other conversations. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing how I, I now, and, and I've had this conversation with many women in the agile space as well, how um, once you cultivate that around you, I don't feel like I'm performing anymore. Mm -hmm. it's, I feel much more authentic in who I am. Um, but it always felt like I was kind of like on stage and having to be on stage and perform um, before. And I'd, the ability to relate that to being in the more male dominated spaces versus having the more gender diverse uh, work environments, it's really eye opening when you're able to take a step back from it and really look at it. It is. It is. That makes me think of a time where I was having a conversation and a review with a boss of mine. He was a um, male boss. And, and we were talking about um, the potential for getting a raise. And I think for a lot of women, that's difficult to have that conversation. 
I've been in sales in some degree all my life. So it's not a difficult, difficult conversation for me at all. You're just asking for something and you're laying it out, you know, and you're, you're, you're building it up with the proof points along the way. So I felt like I did a really good job of providing those proof points and stating, um, you know, this was the goal that we had set. This is where I was at. This is what I achieved. This is where I overachieved and all those sorts of things. And we got to the end and I was told, Denise, you should never have to ask for a raise. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to get the raise. (laughs) And he said, no. And I was dumbfounded. I was like, I don't understand this. And I found out that three, three males in the same role had gotten a raise and I didn't. And I was the only one that had overachieved on my goals. So it was one of those situations you talk about feeling like you have to prove yourself. I feel like I have had to do that quite a few times in my life. And um, I guess it's just become part of my DNA. And I guess when I talk to other women who are entering the workforce or I'm working with members on my team, I want to make them realize that they don't have to prove themselves. You don't have to constantly speak up for yourself. You should be able to to prove it in what you do on a day-to-day basis. You shouldn't have to reinstate it, in my opinion. So that's something that I never want to put somebody in that position where they're having to do that, that the communication is clear, especially on something like an annual review, where it's not a surprise at the end. It's something that you're talking about on a regular basis and along the way. You, I'm so glad you brought up this idea of pay um, and this whole idea of, you know, how do we relate ourselves to things? Because, and, and I'll reveal a little more of my story and I want to see what rings true for you. I never, it never occurred to me that I might not be equitably compensated in comparison to my male peers and colleagues until the media started telling me women mm-hmm. are not equitably compensated, but it never even occurred to me that that might not be the case. Did you, did, was that something you questioned throughout your career? Um, or was that something that didn't occur to you later on? How, how did that aspect of things evolve for you? I would say it didn't occur to me early in my career. I, I felt like if you were hired for a job that you would be given the, the salary that would be, you know, equitable or whatever assigned to that role and you didn't have to fight for it. I learned that that was not the case. I learned that there is negotiation and everything. And, and whether you're male or woman, man or, you know, a man or a woman or male or female, or whether you're, you know, in one state or another, there are always all kinds of factors that, that play into it and it's give and take. And so um, now I, I try really hard not to over ask, but to make sure that I'm getting my net worth. And I do, you know, check into it and make sure. I mean, it's great that we've got Glassdoor and different things like that now where we can check salaries. Before, it was just kind of this nebulous cloud out there and you just had to trust. And um, I don't know if that is because of, you know, becoming older and wiser or the the technology has caught up or, or if it's a combination of things. But I would say for the past 10 years, I make sure that I'm I'm doing what I can to you know, get my net worth out of the situation. That, um, yeah, and I didn't even think about just the access to information that has changed so significantly. I mean, really even just over the last five to seven years in terms of Mm -hmm. access to information and transparency around um, income and salaries and all of that. And this this is actually an interesting segue into the idea of gender equitable recovery post-pandemic. You know, 
women reentering the workforce in general, because so much of what your compensation is isn't necessarily isn't necessarily purely based on your talent and worth in the moment. A lot of it's based on career tenure. So for those, I'll just say people in general that choose to leave the workforce, right? It's more so happens to be women that for whatever reason, leave the workforce and come back. They've lost those years of tenure and are put in a disadvantage, even though they may be equally as talented and competent and valuable as someone that never left the workforce at all. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's use that as this launching point to really get back into this whole reentering the workforce thing. Uh, Do you mind if I share a little bit of the research that I did this morning in preparation for our conversation? Please do. Yeah, there's there's two things that really jumped out to me. So um, AmericanProgress.org, uh, I was reading a study there um, or an article there. They, they came out with it in October of 2020, and they were citing data from September of 2020. So we're going on, you know, um, six, seven months ago now. But in September of 2020, they said roughly 865,000 women dropped out of the workforce compared with 216,000 men. And then I want to contrast that from fall of 2020 to a a March article from Forbes here just uh, two months ago, right? Or I guess last month, um, we're recording in April, that said um, employment for women may not recover to pre-pandemic levels until 2024, which is two full years after they expect the full recovery for men. So as I was reading all of this research and been paying attention to these headlines over the past couple months, it was it was easy for me to make up that, you know, women that are in jobs that are more service oriented and everything where they can't just work from home, like those of us that have more corporate jobs and the knowledge worker force and, and that ability to juggle childcare and all of these other things. I'm like, maybe we're just not seeing it much in the corporate setting. But then that same Forbes article from March said, um, and this is a little bit long, but it, it was really salient for me. According to the 2020 Women in the Workplace study that was co-authored by McKinsey and LeanIn.org, one in four women are now considering leaving the workforce or downshifting their careers. In fact, as many as two million women could leave corporate America. While stressors aren't limited to parents, a massive increase in caregiving responsibilities at home and at work may jeopardize women's ability to stay in the workforce and progress. According to this survey, 40% of mothers compared to 27% of fathers have added three or more additional hours of caregiving a day to their schedule. That is 15 more hours a week, 15 or more hours a week, the equivalent of a considerable part-time job. So for many women in senior roles, this caregiving at home could be exacerbated, exacerbated by additional stress at work with women reporting they feel an increase in pressure to be always on. And I'm like, oh, well, that bursts my bubble that it's right in terms of segmentation of how the female workforce is being impacted. So I was just kind of floored when I started reading more about this in preparation for our chat today. What led you to become interested in what was going on in gender equitable recovery, the impacts of women reentering the workforce, whether it be pandemic related or not? How, how did you get jazzed about this? First of all, you read that and I just literally got chills. I mean, that's so in your face. And and 
I, it makes me think about so many conversations I've had with relatives, with other girlfriends about, um, the pressure, the, the stress, everything that's gone on over this past year has affected everyone, whether you're male or female. And I think that to add to that, you know, women feel this additional obligation to be a caregiver innately. Um, if they have children at home, like you said, that extra three hours a day, I, I can name a ton of people that I know that are, are teaching their kids that are doing all these things. And, um, you know, you think about the different aspects of, of um, jobs that are out there in, in, you know, you'd mentioned, you know, going in and just the, the services industry. That's not the case. I know a lot of teachers right now. My husband's a teacher and I know a lot of teachers that are just ready to call it quits. It was too mm -hmm. much for this last year. Just absolutely too much. So I think a lot of people have mentally reevaluated their job, their lives. And with that, their jobs and just said, I've got to bring balance back to my life. Um, if you were fortunate enough to be in an industry where, you know, I'm in e-commerce and we were nothing but booming over the last year. I've never worked so hard in all my life. And, and that's a blessing, but it's also a curse in the fact that we still had to keep things going because it took more energy to try to, you know, stay in touch with family and friends because you have to work at it. You can't go out and just seize people. It's, you know, you have to set up a call and do all these things and find the energy to be on one more Zoom call a day, even if it is drinking wine with your girlfriends. It's still, it was more of a job <laughs> sometimes. So all of yeah. these things factor into, I mean, and when you talk about four times as many women have left the workforce over this last year. It all makes sense, but I don't think anybody saw it happening. And now we have to think about the future, right? I'm working yeah. for a, a company that's growing in leaps and bounds right now. And if we take out women in the, in the workforce, there's, there's, you know, only half as many people to choose from. And then you're not getting um, the, the best choices out there. So everybody that's trying to build a business and trying to run a business and trying to think of the future should be scared about this. And doing it in a way where they want to break down some of the historical gender inequities and do things in more diverse and inclusive ways. It's like you're already starting with the deck stacked against you. Absolutely. Um, yeah. One of the last things I'd read was a, it was a Washington Post article from, from last summer. In fact, it was titled coronavirus childcare crisis will set women back a generation. Mm. And I was just like, just the title alone, um, like the idea of the progress that has been made being, having been set back that mm -hmm. far, right? Being out of the workforce, getting back into it and having gender equitable pay and all of these things just being that much more difficult after all the work that we've done. Um, and you look to mentorship as a key anecdote for what we can, and maybe anecdote is not the right, not anecdote, like a story, antidote, like mm -hmm. a cure. Mm -hmm. My English is not serving me well today. <laughs> um, but is, I guess, is a, a place that we as women can point to, to help when our friends, our colleagues have been out and they're ready to move back in, or they're having to navigate these sort of situations. Why mentorship? Well, I think that when you look at the stats, it, it, it proves that women who are mentored are more successful in the workforce. So that in and of itself gives reason. But beyond that, I think that people who take the time to mentor others, I mean, 
anybody that's done it, I think would, would testify to the fact that you get just as much out of it as what you put into it. Um, whether it's energy or a new perspective or just the thrill of working and, and talking to somebody who's, who's in a different space in their life, all of those things add up to be a positive thing. And if you look at like the Gallup studies about filling people's buckets and things like that, all that definitely ties into that whole mentorship attitude. Um, and right now there are people who are younger that are entering the workforce that have, well, none of us have ever been through anything like this before, right? But some of us have been around long enough to know that this too shall pass and things have changed and some of them are for the better, like the flexibility and work schedules and all these sorts of things. And if we could talk about them and talk about ways to get through these situations, I think we all benefit for it. What have been some of your, I guess, most resonant moments if, as you've looked at yourself as a mentor just since the pandemic here over the past, you know, 12 or 14 months now? So I have to say pre-pandemic, I met um, a, a young woman who was in college and it just so happens that our paths crossed because we were both volunteering at the local soup kitchen. And it was the first time I had ever done anything like that. And I was learning from her because she had done it on a regular basis. And afterwards, we walked outside together back when we still could and still gather and everything else. And we had a wonderful conversation. And it was just about where she was going in life. And I just felt so much positivity from her and, and was so excited for the direction she was going because she had all these open doors in front of her as she finishes up her college career. So fast forward a year and a half later, I got a, a text from her saying, hey, do you remember me? I would love to talk to you about uh, a college paper I'm doing. It's one of my final papers. And you're, you came to mind because um, we had talked about some of the different ways that I could go in my career and things like that. So we spent two hours and it felt like 10 minutes just talking about different opportunities. And we're going to stay in touch. And I just love that. And I love that opportunity um, and I love that we cross paths because she has so much excitement and so many opportunities ahead of her. And she doesn't know which way to go. I'm not going to tell her which way to go, but I can tell her some of the mistakes I've made, some of the different choices I've made, and some of the different things that have happened because of that, as well as connect her with different people. I found out she had some interest in, in one area, and I happened to know someone from another uh, ladies' launch group. That, that I was part of where we're all networking and talking about different things and um, was able to introduce her to somebody else and, and open up some other doors. And I think that that mentoring and that connecting of, of women is so powerful. And um, it was just, it, I felt lucky to have that opportunity. Yeah. And, and I think listening to you talk, I realized that it's those organic moments where we meet people in our networks, whether it be volunteering at a soup kitchen, like in your story, or waiting in line at the bathroom at some conference, that you serendipitously meet these people that end up with these mentoring converse or mentoring relationships emerging, and how we've all lost out on a year of mm -hmm. those organic connections in so many ways, because while conference content has gone virtual. I haven't experienced yet something myself that simulates that networking hour and the sitting down at a random table with people to have lunch at a conference where you just meet these people. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're all missing out on those opportunities to just expand our own networks. But then thinking about just 
the next generation of women coming into the workforce, those that are just getting their first jobs over these past 12 months, the mentorship necessary there to help them acclimate into an office setting that they've only known virtually and now as vaccines are becoming more popular and people are starting to think about going back to the office, the whole other social aspect of navigating work that's going to be different for them now. So if you're meeting that woman, what might you be saying to her? Yeah, that's interesting because communication styles are different, right? So you have to work harder at communicating when people are in different places. I think that people, one of the challenges is people don't feel confident enough to step up and say, I'd like some help or don't know where to start, right? So I think it would be good for companies. Um, and it doesn't always work to, to force these types of relationships, as you said, but whether it's on a, a professional level, like I, I'm part of Merchant Risk Council, um, which we it's it's payments and fraud in the e-commerce industry. And there is a um, mentorship program in that system as well. And I think that any companies that can enforce that type of thing or, or support that type of environment is, is a great thing. And sometimes it's better to go broader a little bit. You still have to have some commonality so people know how to give advice in, in that particular situation. But, um, you know, sometimes a company is too small to have a, a mentor mentee where they don't feel comfortable sharing as much because it, it might be too close. Um, so even local groups, you know, I, I mentioned the ladies launch group that I was part of, and it was all um, women entrepreneurs. And um, we tried to meet in person, but it can be done via Zoom. Um, I know some of the e-commerce platforms, Shopify and Big Commerce have ladies groups and, and things like that. And I think mentorships can come organically out of those types of, of opportunities. And they don't have to be direct formal um, types of mentorships either, where you're meeting on a regular basis and going over plans and all those sorts of things. It can be just the conversation. And I think the more that companies or organizations can do to, to support these types of things would be great. Yeah, I agree. And so let's let's circle it back to a little bit of the the angle around re-entering the workforce. If you're one of those people that chose chose to leave, um, and just getting back and getting acclimated, getting your career. I don't even want to call it getting your career back on track because that that in of itself makes it seem as if you were off track by making that choice, and that's not the case at all. No, it's more enhancing um, your career, taking it to the next level, right? Yeah. So, but the, those that may have been out of the workforce, what's important about those mentoring relationships? I think it's important to bring people up to speed with the changes. I think we've all taken for granted the many changes that have occurred in our lives in the last year, whether it's on a personal or professional level. Um, and, you know, just the way meetings are, are being held, um, uh, you know, I feel like there are less meetings these days because people we're, we're not all there to just do impromptu meetings, which is good and bad in and of itself. But I think the quality of meeting has gotten a little bit better, but I think it's also important to have that personal time where you can just chat about things and, and catch up with, with one another because you're not seeing what's going on behind the scenes as easily. So merely asking the question of how is everything going? How are you handling this? What challenges do you have? Do you have all the equipment you need? Um, I think we're all a little bit more forgiving. You might have heard my dog barking, even though I put him across the house. There's no way to get around that. He's still there, right? Babies might be crying. The doorbell's ringing because we're all ordering things 
online and they, you know, the delivery service never comes until you get onto an important call. Uh, we all know that. But I think it's important to talk through those things and the changes that have occurred and, and talk through what is needed to equip yourself to, to get up to speed very quickly with those changes. Yeah, that's, um, I do think those of us that were working through the shift, or I, as I um, am doing it for an upcoming conference talk, how we were all thrust over the edge um, mm-hmm. last, last spring, we got to live through that and day by day build up what our new work patterns were. So coming back into a virtual work environment, in fact, I've got two colleagues that were out on maternity leave while this whole thing happened. And then it's like, they're dropping back in, you know, three months later. And it's like, I don't even know how to navigate my day on a regular basis. And I'm a new mom, Mm -hmm. you know, everything about my world is completely different. Not, not a, you know, not that it's enough, not enough to have just become a mom for the first time. Um, And now to figure out how to do your job in an entirely different way. Um, What is ClearSail doing to create this best environment possible for making sure that things don't become out of balance and that women that have left the workforce or choosing to take a step back for whatever reason have a safe place to land when they return? Yeah, we're a global company and we generally had um, like we had some people working remotely. I was working remotely, but I was more of the exception rather than the rule. And we had core people in core offices. Um, Since we've closed those offices and now we're still hiring um, all the time, we are hiring in in remote places. And so we are across. If I can think about the meeting this morning that we had for at least four, if not five different time zones. So when you start thinking about that, you need to be cognizant of people's personal lives as well. And just blocking out time when people aren't available and having shared calendars. It sounds so simple, but I guess we're just more aware of that. Um, But we're also, I think, as a company, more open to hiring the right person, no matter where they are. And I think a lot of companies... Um, have become more like that. Another thing that was done was a survey to talk about the different office space and how people want to utilize it moving into the future. And I've talked to my brother-in-law runs a business as do a couple of other people I know, and they've done similar things to this where it's like, maybe we'll scale down the office space and just have more large meeting rooms, but not require everybody to be in the office all the time Mm -hmm. and be more flexible. Do you want to come in once a week, twice a week, once to every two weeks, whatever the case might be. And I think that takes a lot of um, pressure off of people when they're trying to commute and trying to think about, you know, trying to get to work at a certain time. The, the work flexibility is just there on a, on a larger scale. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, as we were preparing for today's chat, you even were citing like, just be cognizant of what time we do stuff, especially yeah. with the the distributed workforce that we have, you know, we always have this team meeting at X time East Coast. Well, 11 a.m. East Coast might be when somebody else in Mountain Time needs to be getting their kid ready to go to school because they're back in schools today. And so they're trying to do that call while walking the kid to the bus stop and all of these things when it's like, you know, maybe let's take a step back and look at our calendars in a more, dare I say, humane way. I think so. I think that's fair. (laughs) What other little stories like that do you have around, you know, just setting everybody up for success? 
You know, it's interesting because of all, all the different times I talk to people, I would utilize the phone most oftentimes. Now it's rare that I do a call that's not a video chat. And I think that it's a neater way to connect with people globally as we work globally um, and just get a little bit of insight. And it's, it's a little bit more forgiving because I think people used to be more formal. Um, people are more relaxed when they have calls now. You see my background, it's my office. Um, you know, it, it, everybody expects to see different backgrounds. And it's, it's also a point of conversation where people are like, oh, I like that painting you have on the wall. Do you live by the ocean? And it allows you to kind of connect with people a little bit more. So I think that's something that's changed across the board for people. And I, I think that'll stick. I think that's, yeah. that's a neat thing. Um, I'm curious your experience around um, getting ready to go to work, right? <laughs> if I were going to the office, I would do my hair every day. I would do my makeup. I would find some like, you know, outfit that I felt good in because I was, you know, going to see a client or going or whatever it was that was just like part of the routine. Um, and whether we want to, like, you know, get into it or not, like guys tend to have it easier when it comes mm -hmm. to that sort of stuff. So I feel less pressure to have to look ready. I think when I'm going to go back into work settings, because I've kind of normalized what it's like to be in, not that I go into the office in athleisure sort of stuff, but a little bit more casual, a little less done up mm -hmm. because Everybody's sort of seen me in a version of that virtually over the past year. Um, what are you noticing around some of those kind of gender norms from an appearance and getting ready perspective as we navigate these transitions? I'm noticing that as well. I have a degree in psychology, so I think about things like this all the time. And um, I'm looking at trends in clothing and the athletic wear is definitely selling like hotcakes. I mean, every store, Target, everybody has their own line now. Um I don't think that's going to go away because yoga pants are far too comfortable. Um, but I've always been a little bit more old school in the fact that I get ready for the day. Mm -hmm. because if I get ready, I'm mentally prepared. Although I will admit I'm not wearing shoes right now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the place that I've, I've kind of relaxed. And um, I have gone to three different conferences now since COVID hit, um, all in the jewelry industry recently. And I would say that normally those conferences are a little bit more uh, formal and a little bit more dressy, more on the banking side of things like that, that type of dress. And uh, people were more casual. So I think casual is here to stay at some level. I think we've all gotten a little bit more comfortable in our skins. And I think that that's not a bad thing because I think that it just allows us to be more humble and more human and connect with people more easily. I love that. I love that. Um, all right. So before we wrap up, any final sort of tips or things in this area of um, just honing all of our own awareness on when our organizations may be getting in the way of gender equity, workforce reentry, and all of the things that we've been exploring today? Any other reminders and tips and tricks? I think above all, just don't forget to ask how people are doing connect at a personal level. And, and remember, all those people that have left the workforce, that's a lot of opportunity for great hires. So think about different ways of connecting with people and be um, a little bit more um, flexible in, in the way things are, are being um, offered to women and to men. 
because I think that that flexibility will be taken into consideration when people are making a job decision. I think that's great, Denise. Thank you. Closing question that I like to ask all of my guests. Um, What are you geeking out on and what are you doing for your own professional growth that might serve as an inspiration for others? I always hate being put on the spot on these things. (laughs) (laughs) I think right now, one of the things that I'm doing is really exploring the whole podcast area a lot more. We launched our own podcast during COVID, which we were wondering whether that would be the right thing to do or not. And it turned out it was a great thing to do. Um, I personally get tired of webinars. I get, I, I, I don't want to say I get tired of doing webinars, but you, you kind of run out of things to talk about. And I think a podcast is a little bit more casual. It's a little bit more personal and you never know which way it's going to go. So I've been challenging myself to, to listen to more podcasts, to record more podcasts and take part in more podcasts overall. So that's probably it. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that we could then be part of you geeking out here from the Women in Agile podcast side. <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity very much. Yeah, Denise, any final thoughts you want to listen with, leave with our listeners before we wrap up? No, just uh, let's take care of each other. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, could not have said that better myself. Denise, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate this chat. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Women in Agile podcast. It's brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization and scrum.org. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about the podcast. And as always, you can go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiatives and find additional inspiring podcast conversations.